Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Well, we just uh, finished uh, session eight and uh, session nine, and uh, so now we're going to pick up in session ten for this Sunday morning. So anyway, I appreciate you guys being there for session eight and nine and since we're all kind of locked up in the house uh for the next uh, few days or weeks i figured why not uh, go ahead and uh, study the bible together and uh, so i'll be doing some throughout the week as well and then we'll just do a a watch party on those at eight o'clock on sunday morning and then pick up any new material that we're going to be covering uh, following that. So um, <clears throat> anyway, I appreciate you guys being a part of that. So uh, let me get my notes here real quick. Um, good morning, Scott, again. Um, I guess you can hear me okay, right, brother? Um, I, um, I'm, um, we're going to pick up in verse number... Let's see where we're going to pick up in from where we left off. Uh, I guess we'll pick up verse 21 in Acts chapter number 3. <clears throat> Get all my notes here. Here we go. So we might back up for a little context. Acts 21, 20. Okay. All right then. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's go ahead and say a word of prayer. And uh, then we'll start our study for today. Father God, we love you and do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for just the opportunity to come before you and just uh, to study your word. And as we pray weekly, Lord, just pray that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand, even if possible, the things that you have for us. Father, I thank you for uh, um, just this time and ask that you would that we'd be closer to you than we've ever been. Father, pray for our nation. Pray that everything that we're going through, pray that you'd be glorified in it and through it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, let's go ahead and pick up in, um, let's see, verse number 19. We'll just read that for context, and uh, then we'll go into uh, verse 21 for this morning. Good morning, Judy, again. Um, Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore, um, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And of course, we, we look at that and we need to look at that dispensationally. Um, that's exactly what was going to happen. Before I get any further later on, just a few minutes, I'm going to go over some of that again, just do some repeat. I did two... Um, two studies this past week uh, called The Necessity of Literal Interpretation. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see that, but uh, um, that's exactly what the apostles were. Um, they literally um, interpret the Bible in a dispensational fashion. I mean, I mean, it's saying here, if you'll repent and you'll be converted, your sins will be blotted out. And then the church age will come. No, that's not <laughs> what they were teaching. 
they were teaching with the full expectation that the nation of Israel would repent. And as soon as the nation of Israel repented, um, the tribulation period would begin. And at that point, the nation of Israel would indeed turn. The second coming would happen and we would move into the kingdom. That's exactly how the apostles believed it would be it would happen. They were dispensational in their thinking as we should be dispensational in our thinking. Uh, I was talking to a, um, a covenant guy the other day and you know if you spiritualize scripture you can make it say anything that you want it to. And unfortunately there's a lot of people today, even a lot of dispensationalists who spiritualize portions of scripture because the little interpretation doesn't meet their need. Um, you have to apply one form of interpretation or you're going to be confused. You can't spiritualize this portion and then come over here and say, oh, well, this portion over here is literal, but this portion over here is spiritual, and you just back and forth, depending on your doctrinal preferences, you're going to be confused. Uh, the meme I put up a couple weeks ago, if you don't literally be, believe the Bible, then you don't literally believe the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, no, it said if you don't if you don't believe the Bible is literal, literal, then you don't literally believe the Bible, and that's true. Good morning, Sylvia. God bless you down there in Texas. Um, so he said, if you'll repent, you know, uh, and turn around, your sins will be erased, and then the times of refreshing shall come. How by the presence of the Lord, if you will do that. And he shall send Jesus Christ. This is speaking of the second coming, which was before preached unto you. And we have to remember that. I mean, that even when we, and this, this, a lot of this is, this is a journey for, for me. Uh, I know speaking for Scott, the same thing. I mean, it's a journey that I have always been taught one way that I just never questioned and then I began to look and to think about, and I took some classes in seminary called uh, background, cultural background classes or something like that. It's you, you take a, like instead of just taking the book of Matthew, the course was on the background of Matthew. In other words, what was going through the mind of the apostles while Jesus was standing there with them? What did they hear him say? Uh, and, and what did they do as a res result of what they heard him say? Because that is, um, what, what they heard is the interpretation. What did he say? Who did he say it to? And what did they understand him to say when he said it? I mean, Jesus wasn't speaking over their heads, throwing stuff, speaking in hyperbole and spiritualizing. Okay. What they heard was, you go out and preach this gospel. The nation of Israel will repent. Daniel's 70th week will start. The nation of Israel will turn, repent and turn and the kingdom and the kingdom will be ushered in. That's what they heard. It's just like that little timeline that I put up, uh, this past week on the necessity of, of literal interpretation. This is what would have, could have, should have happened, but this is what did happen after they did not repent collectively as a nation. And then in verse number 21, uh, and this is new ground right here. Um, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. 
So the times of restitution, and a lot of people will say the times of restitution and the times of refreshing are the, are the same thing. Um, but the word restitution is a little bit different definition than refreshing. Uh, restitution means the restoration of something lost or stolen to its proper owner. And of course, you know, God created man, God, Adam and Eve placed them in the garden, gave them authority and they disobeyed and they lost that. And Satan, um, became, you know, the God of this world, or at least man put him in that position. Um, but what it's saying here is life will go back to the time before the fall of man in the garden. So many years ago when he disobeyed and brought death and destruction upon himself and all that would come after him. Okay. And then ultimately death itself would even be repeated. I mean, um, would be defeated. Um, the death that was brought by the, the disobedience, um, would be defeated. And of course, uh, the apostle Paul talks about when that, that when he speaks to the Corinthians, when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, then cometh the end and he shall have delivered the kingdom of God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power for he must reign until death, until death, um, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be destroyed will be death. So, um, all of that is what was supposed to happen in that order. And last week we took a turn at Luke 14. Uh, you remember in Luke chapter number 14, we have um, our Lord. He goes into the temple for to read. And in Luke 14, or 414, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in Galilee. And there went out a fame about him through the region about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So obviously he was still in pretty good standing with the people at this time. Um, the fish and chips crowd, they loved him when he did what they wanted him to. But as soon as uh, he didn't do what he, they wanted him to, uh, they turned on him. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for it to read. So obviously still accepted, still acceptable. He goes into the synagogue. They acknowledge that he's there. He was a rabbi. He was a rabbi. And they delivered unto him the prophet Isaiah in a scroll. And he, he opened it and he found the place where it was written. In other words, the text indicates that it wasn't handed to him what to read, but he took the scroll and he, and, and it was already at the prophet Isaiah. And then he found where it said in Isaiah, in our Bibles, Isaiah 61 verses one and two. And he began to read the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. And again, this is speaking to the Jewish nation and recovering of the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And our Lord put a period right there and he closed the book and he gave it unto the minister. And um, so he closed the book, he, he gave it to the minister and, um, and when, and then of course it says in the next thing that after he had done that, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why? Because he'd done something very unexpected. 
he only read a portion of scripture and he stopped after acceptable year of the Lord, which was a comma, not a period. And he closed the book and he handed, hands it back and he sat down. And then he says, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, again, what he's quoting from is Isaiah 61 verses one and two. And if you do look back in Isaiah 61 verses one and two, after, I mean, he quotes it verbatim, but in verse number two, it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't read that part. Why? Because it hadn't been fulfilled yet. It was still yet to be fulfilled. That is speaking of the tribulation period, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all that mourn. Of course, the day of vengeance is followed by the second com coming and the comforting, the rest restoration, the restitution of all things. So again, that's what was supposed to have happened. The Lord came, the vengeance was to come next, and then the Lord was going to comfort all that mourn. There's another interesting uh, 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 portion of scripture in Psalm chapter number two. Um, turn over and I'll, uh, this is pretty interesting. Les Feldick, who I really, really do enjoy listening to Les. He is... Um, um, he, he really teaches the Bible more in a survey style. He moves very quickly, uh, which there's a time for that. And I enjoy that for sure. Uh, but he goes back to Psalm chapter number two to prove this point, that this is what woulda, coulda, shoulda happened, but didn't. Uh, in Psalm chapter two, verse number one, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers are taking counsel. Okay, now, if you look at that, the kings of the earth, okay, um, is speaking of, of Gentiles, and the rulers are speaking to, of the Jewish rulers are taking counsel. How? Against the Lord and against his anointed. And they're saying, let us break our bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So they're saying, let us break their bands. Notice the there the plural there, referring to the Godhead. Let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. In other words, we don't want this God to rule over us. And he setteth in the heavens, referring to God, and he laughs, and the Lord will have them in derision. And then, listen to this, he will speak to them in his wrath, Okay. which is what? The tribulation period. He will speak to them in his wrath and he will vex them in his sore displeasure. And then he says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, which is what should have happened next. So really Psalm 2 is an outline for the the prophecies of Israel for everything that God wanted to do with the nation of Israel. Okay. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. This day I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will give you the heathen 
for thine inheritance and the other uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Of course, when he's talking about the heathen, he's talking about the Gentile. And God's initial plan, was, plan A, was that God, the, the nation of Israel would repent. They would return to the Lord. And he would use them to be kings and priests. It, he would use them to be a light to the Gentiles. Okay, And we're going to talk about that a little further as well. Uh, there's so many places along this way where we can really get lost in the weeds. <laughs> and I do, but I'm not really lost. I'm just, it's just so, you know, there's so much firing going on uh, in this bald head. Um, and he says, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Remember in the kingdom, the Lord will rule with a what? With a rod of iron. Okay. Be wise, therefore, ye kings, and be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled only but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. So again, we see these outline verses, if you will, of what should have happened, but what, of course, didn't happen. So he says in verse 21, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Now that's an interesting point. And Scott and I talked about this, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. That question, why did the Lord have to go away? Well, here in this verse, whom the heaven must receive until the time of restitution. You know, he had to go away. You know, so that he could fill them with the Holy Spirit, so that they could go and preach the kingdom gospel until after they repented in the restitution of all things. So it was just natural. He had to do that. Um, and then look in verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers. Now he's going to refer back to Moses as a proof text of who Jesus is. A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, and him ye shall hear in all things, and whatsoever he shall say unto you, okay, whatsoever he shall say unto you, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet will be destroyed from among the people. Now, Peter here is referring back to a text from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse number 15, um, Moses said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet. You remember when Jesus first came? What was one of the questions they asked of him? Are you, or not Jesus, but John the Baptist. They asked John the Baptist, Are you that prophet? What prophet? The prophet that Moses told us about. And he's like, No, I'm not him. But there's one that, that's coming after me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. Okay. So Moses said in Deuteronomy 18:15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, and him you will hearken. And of course, that was a prophecy about Jesus who would come. And as Moses uh, led the people uh, out of Egypt, out of bondage into the promised land so the Lord would come and lead the nation out of bondage 
okay, spiritual bondage, if you will, into the promised land. So same in their ministries and what they did. And in Deuteronomy 18, 18, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he speak in my name, I will require it of him. In other words, I'll hold him accountable. So Jesus actually referenced this in John 8, 28. In John 8, 28, he said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. That's exactly what Moses said that prophet would do. So Peter is showing them that Jesus was that prophet that Moses foretold would come. He was that prophet. Again, he's, he's just like his first message. He's placing the blame squarely on the nation of Israel for what they've done. And then in verse 24, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So notice that all of his language is still very much Jewish. All the prophets from Samuel and all those that follow, as many as have spoken, have told about these days. Not 2020, <laughs> these days, the very days that they are standing in at the moment when Peter was speaking. So the Mosaic prophecies were to the Jews and to the Jews alone. It wasn't looking past the Jews at the Gentiles. His prophecies were to the Jews first and foremost and then would follow. Once the Jews did what God wanted them to do, then they would take that to the Gentiles. So Peter is referring to the covenant uh, that God made with the people of Israel. He's referring to the covenant, how that God would use the people of Israel. In Genesis 12, 3, you'll remember, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee, and in, the, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, But first and foremost, I'm going to use you to bless the families of the earth. Again, no body of Christ in view here. None. And notice it says foretold in these days. It's referring to the time in which they were living, not the days in which you and I were living. These things were fulfilled then. Again, Old Testament prophecies find their fulfillment in the nation of Israel alone. They are aimed at the nation of Israel. And then Israel would do what they were called to do and reach the Gentiles. Someone asked me the other day on a Facebook message, a friend of mine, she said uh, she was referring to some prophecies of Paula White and, uh, you know, Donald Trump's chosen her to be his spiritual advisor, which, you know, doesn't speak to a lot of discernment there. She's a kingdom now type, charismatic, you know, uh, Pentecostal in her doctrine. Um and she said, she keeps quoting all these Old Testament passages saying, uh, this is referring to the body of Christ. Could, could this be possible? And I'm like, no. <laughs> the body of Christ was hidden 
uh, it was not revealed until the Apostle Paul. So the body of Christ, all Old Testament prophecy, all Old Testament verses is referring to the nation of Israel. And anything that was there, it was hidden. You couldn't see it if it was. Okay. So I told her, I said, as a rule, uh, you cannot take Old Testament passages and make application or make interpretation to the body of Christ. Once you do, you're going to get in trouble. Now, there's principle, sure. If my nation, if a, if a nation called by name, my name would humble themselves and pray. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's a general principle. But again, it's not talking directly to the body of Christ. It's talking to the nation of Israel. In order to make a proper application, you must first and foremost make a proper interpretation. If you give a proper interpretation, you're, you're going to make a, an applicable, proper application. If you make a bad interpretation, then you're going to make a bad application. And that's what we see is replete throughout the church today. Bad applications, quoting Old Testament passages, trying to interpret them as the church. You know, I did this with the Song of Solomon. Oh, this is the Bride of Christ. There was no Bride of Christ. I mean, sure, we can make some application, but the interpretation is not about Christ and his church. You know, and that's where we get that doctrine that the church is the Bride of Christ. The church is not the Bride of Christ. The nation of Israel is the Bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Okay, follow the logic because once you start down that logical trail, your brain's going to explode. Okay, because everything you've been taught is going to blow up. Because if if we're not the bride, <laughs> then who is the nation of Israel? Revelation chapter number twenty. And I will show unto you the bride. You know that's not talking about the church. It's the nation of Israel. It's the New Jerusalem. Okay. Um, so you keep following that, you know, the kingdom was promised to Israel, not to the church as a church. We're not looking for a kingdom. We're looking for a rapture. The nation of Israel is looking for a kingdom. Okay. And why? Because he's their king, you know, I mean, he's king of the universe, you know, but he's not necessarily the king of the church. He is the head of the church and we are the body you get it? I mean, once you start going down this trail, uh, I'm sure as many of you know, I mean, it will start blowing things up. Some, some assumptions, some presuppositions that you've had, it totally changes it. You begin to look at the scripture with the things that you've been taught in a questioning way. Okay. Is this, is this referring to the church or is this, you know, it's just like the Hebrew epistles. You know, you have to remember that the Hebrew epistles from Hebrews through Revelation <laughs> are written by Hebrews for Hebrews. You know, it's not written by Hebrews for Gentiles. It's not written by Hebrews for the body of Christ, you know. And when you go to those epistles and you start sticking the body of Christ in there, uh, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to end up with a lot of bad doctrine. Okay, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of bad doctrine if you do that. You're going to end up with a works salvation. Why? Because they had a works salvation. They were under the law. They were not under grace. So when James is writing, I think 47% of the verses in James is referring to works. You know, So when you start making that applicable to the church, 
you're going to get in trouble. You're going to with work salvation. Hey, Terry, how you doing? Good to see you. God bless you. Um, so anyway, when he says foretold in these days, he's referring to the time in which they were living, not the days in which you and I are living. And understand, um, the prophecies of the Old Testament refer to the nation of Israel, not to the body of Christ. And then notice in verse number 25, ye are the children of the prophets. Now, I'm not, I'm not children of the prophets, are you? You know, uh, <laughs> you know, like, it's just like those Hebrew epistles that start out with, you know, Hebrews is written to who? Someone asked me that one time, who's the Hebrews written to? I said, mm, the Hebrews, <laughs> you know, James written to the 12 tribes, you know, which tribe are you? Well, we'd fix that today in Pentecostalism with, you know, we brought in all this kingdom theology and we're all part of a, a tribe now. No, we're not. You know, those tribes are Jewish. You know, those referring to the to the twelve uh, 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 descendants of of Jacob. Um, so you know, we are not uh, the bride of Christ, as uh, you guys have mentioned. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors. We do not teach uh, repentance and baptism. Okay, we preach the gospel of reconciliation. Okay, and I I don't understand why people just go off and and look at you like you're a heretic when you teach this stuff. And I know some of you you've experienced this. So what if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not referring to the body of Christ, but instead the nation of Israel? So what if the Great Commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of the creature, was not directed at the body of Christ, but at the nation of Israel? We have our commission too. We're ambassadors. And we teach the gospel of reconciliation. Be ye reconciled unto God. How? By believing in the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is not repent and be baptized. That is not the gospel of grace. That is a gospel of works under the kingdom gospel, which was exclusively to the nation of Israel. What's so heretical about that? Other than you want to spend 98% of your teaching time in the gospels misinterpreting something and applying it to the church. I, you know, I, I get ruffled. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, if you've been on this journey for a little while. Um, so he says in verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers. We are not under the covenant. We are not covenant people. Matter of fact, there is, we're not under a covenant. We're not under the old covenant. We're not under the new covenant. We are under the mediator. Okay, we are under Christ. He is the head. We are his body. We're not under a covenant. And go back and look at my previous studies. You know, just because, you know, your Bible has this little blank page after Malachi and before Matthew does not mean that we are under the new covenant. See that blank page right there? New Testament? You know, it didn't begin in Matthew chapter number one, verse number one. You know, Hebrews chapter nine talks about that. There can be no covenant or can be no testament until after the death of the testator. For a testament is of no effect while the testator yet liveth. We are not under a new covenant. The new covenant is for the nation of Israel. Now think about how many churches right now have the word covenant in their names. <laughs> Again, they're not rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? 
Ye are the children of the prophets and of the... I'll get through this verse eventually. Uh, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed all the kindreds of the earth shall be blessed. Whose seed? Abraham's seed. Through the descendants of Abraham, all the kindreds of the earth will be blessed. So again, make no mistake, Israel in view here, not the body of Christ. And at this point, Gentiles, like the Apostle Paul said over in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 12, were strangers from the covenants of promise. Strangers from the covenants of promise. Why? Because we we weren't in the covenants. Peter, Peter now reminds them that the covenant that God had made with Abraham, which involved them becoming a nation, and again, the, the covenant was threefold in Genesis chapter number 12. It, it was regard to a nation, it was regard to land, and it was in regards to a king. All those things are exclusively for the nation of Israel. Them as a nation, their land, their king. Not the church as a nation, not the church with land, not the church with a king. Okay? They would be a nation. And understand, all the promises for Israel are earthly. All the promises for the church are heavenly. We are a spiritual people. We are not an earthly people. So when it starts talking about a nation and lands and kings, okay, it's referring to the nation of Israel and not us. Okay, we have to come to grips today in the church that the pro that prophecy relates to the nation of Israel. They are the center. They are the apple of God's eye. Okay, everything. They are the epicenter of all prophecy. You want to know what God is doing? Look to the nation of Israel. Okay, uh, they are at the heart of what God is doing. Yes, we get blessed, but it is not about us. It's about them. So, um, I see a question there from Scott, and that's something we can do. I, I just don't see how this applies to us as ambassadors, aliens, a heavenly people, if my people, which call by name. But yeah, exactly. I think you're, you're in agreement there. Uh, you know, it's referring to the nation of Israel, um, you know, the healing their land. Again, we take those Old Testament verses and we quote them out of context. And in principle, sure, there's a principle there for sure. Uh, but the interpretation is first and foremost for the nation of Israel. Um, to make this point, Les Feldick um, points out Deuteronomy 32, verse number 8, when it says, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds according to the, the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. And all that saying is that everything that God did was in relation to, first and foremost, the nation of Israel. Do we get blessed because of that? For sure. His desire, again, was to use Israel to reach the Gentiles. Okay, uh, in Isaiah 43, verse number one, but now thus says the Lord God that created thee, O Jacob, he and hath formed thee, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. And then in verse chapter 49 of Isaiah, he says, and now saith the Lord that formed me in the womb to be his servant, 
to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved of Israel, and I will also give thee, the nation of Israel, to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Again, God's desire was to use the nation of Israel to reach the Gentiles, to bring the light of salvation to the Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse number 20, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed. Seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. So again, all prophecy revolves around the nation of Israel. And isn't it sad how the devil has perverted that? Isn't it sad how the devil has perverted that? You know, and you've heard me talk about this. There are many, many, many in the church today that preach replacement theology, you know, that are, I think it's called successionism, that all the promises that was given to Israel has now been given to the church. No, that's not true. God is still going to fulfill all of his promises to the nation of Israel. Israel has not been, they've been temporarily blinded, set aside. But God's covenants and his promises are to the nation of Israel, and we merely get the overflow. We get the blessings of that. Uh, And then he says in verse number 26, Unto you first, God, unto you first, and unto, unto the nation of Israel first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. How? In the turning away of every one of you from his iniquities. So there's no doubt from the context that Peter is making it clear that the offer of the kingdom was still on the table if they would but just repent and be converted. The offer was on the table. And that's where the light came on for me about a year or so ago. Acts is still a continuation of the offered kingdom. Because bear in mind, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is close. It is at hand. It is near. Not here, but it's coming. And of course, they crucified their Messiah, which Old Testament prophecy said they would. God used their ignorance to accomplish his purposes. God knows he uses my ignorance every day to accomplish his purpose. You know, and I thank, 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 thank him that in, in my many years of ministry, God has used my ignorance to accomplish his purposes and yours too, right? <laughs> God used their ignorance to accomplish his purposes. And after his purpose was accomplished, Christ resurrected, he ascended, a legitimate, bona fide offer of the kingdom was given to the nation of Israel in Acts chapter number two, that we confuse with the body of the birth of the body of Christ or the birth of the church. 
And that's where the confusion sets in. And that's where what leaves most, almost entirely, <laughs> all of my dispensational friends have placed themselves under covenant theology or replacement theology by saying that Israel, that Pentecost was for the body of Christ and not for the church. Or not for Israel. <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, so I call them soft, I, I call it soft replacement theology. Now, no good dispensational preacher that I know who, who's worth his salt will say, well, you know, I believe in replacement theology. None of them would do that. But then they'll turn around and say, Israel rejected their Messiah in the Gospels and they killed him. And as a result, the church was born in Acts chapter number two. No, Jesus had to die through their ignorance so that the kingdom could be offered in Acts chapter number two. And that's where the confusion sets in. And imagine how many denominations there are today that run on Acts, the first couple chapters of the book of Acts. They're born out of error. They're born out of not rightly dividing. They're born out of confusion. Um, so he says, unto you first, have God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you away from your iniquities. Now we know it didn't happen that way. So God went around the Jews and went straight to the Gentiles without them. How? Through the apostle to the Gentiles, which is the apostle Paul. Well, once you embrace that, that'll mess up your theology, you know? Oh, why? well, you know, I mean, how many, how many commentaries have I read that, you know, Peter and those guys really, really messed up in Acts chapter number one when they chose Matthias because God had already chosen the apostle Paul to be the 12th apostle. No, the apostle Paul was never included with them. You know, he was constantly defending his apostleship. The apostle Paul went to the Gentiles. Yes, he spoke to Jew. But his ministry was first and foremost to the Gentile. That's why I encourage you, you know, when I pastored, I'd say, well, if you want to, if you want to introduce someone to the faith, tell them to read the gospel of John. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, why don't you read Romans? <laughs> read Romans uh, and then read Romans through Philemon and then when you've adequately and accurately understood who we are in Christ as the body, then you can go back and look at what God is doing with the nation of Israel. Again, we've, we've, we've messed it up. We've confused it. Um, and of course, it didn't happen. God went around the Jews. He circumvented the Jews. Now, some will point out that just, this is interesting. I think Les Feldix wanted to mention this. Some will point out that just as God used 40 years of desert to get the nation to repent in the Old Testament, so he gives the nation 40 years from Pentecost to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So that means they wandered in the, the desert for 40 years, um, you know, God giving them a chance. And of course, they all died in the wilderness with the exception of two. Now you've got Pentecost, which people place between 30 and I've even seen 33 AD up to 70 AD, which is 30 to 70 is 40. 
40 years. So Les is pointing out that God has given the, the nation of Israel once again 40 years to deal with this. And if you think about that, I mean, if you do the math, how far from Pentecost were these guys talking? You know, how far from Pentecost was these guys talking? I mean, I mean, almost 40 years until the destruction of the temple. We read the book of Acts like this day, then the next day, then the next day, then the next day. It wasn't like that. Years went by between actual Pentecost, you know, and the apostles are still preaching. That's why I sent you guys that, uh, that, uh, that link uh, that shows where Paul's, uh, the dates, the timeline for the book of Acts, because you can take Paul's writings and bump them over to see where they were, where, where he was and where it was happening in the book of Acts. It's a very interesting study when you start piecing it all together. It doesn't cover that many years. It doesn't cover that many years. You know, the first century, you know, that's about it. So anyway, that number 40 is, is pretty interesting. And then, of course, we're going to find in chapter number four, his message is going to be interrupted. Why? Because the Sadducees, they were Sadducee because they don't believe in the resurrection. And Peter's talking about this resurrection stuff. So they got to rush in and, and shut this guy up because he says, and I'll just read this and do just a little bit. I don't want to go too long. I don't even know how long I've been going, but uh, um, <clears throat> in chapter four, this will be a primer. Uh, chapter four, verse number one. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, the Sadducees didn't believe there was a res resurrection. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and a number of the men was about 5,000, and it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, as many words was, were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. So these guys rushed in and shut down uh, Peter's uh, second, uh, second sermon there. And of course... Um, they were offended because they kept talking about the resurrection. As far as the Sadducees were concerned, Peter was speaking heresy. Uh, so very interesting. Uh, Judy, you mentioned that. Yeah, I put that up on the, uh, on the page. Um, what I can do is take that little timeline and stick it in the comments on this right here. And uh, next time... Uh, we get together. And again, I'll probably end up teaching a little bit uh, throughout this week since we've got so much free time. Um, so I'll go ahead and put like the next few sessions. And then next Sunday morning, I'll do a watch party for those sessions at eight o'clock and then followed by the live where we'll pick up where we're going next. So um, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm in that place where I, I can study something over and over and over and over and and something clicks here and something clicks here and I completely miss something here and then I go back and I look at it someplace else and why I, I didn't see that um, you know and just ever ever learning <laughs> ever learning um, so uh, but anyway 
Uh, we'll pick up there in uh, Acts chapter number four uh, next week. But uh, I love and appreciate you guys, and I hope that you have a great one. And if if you made some comments in the thread below, I'll we'll we'll just kind of go back with that. We'll learn together. You know, I told a college kid several years ago, if you would have asked me that question, you know, five years ago, I would have had an answer for you, but I don't today. Um, you know, uh, I, I used to compare it, you know, when I first came to the Lord, my first Bible, I wrote in pen. It was permanent. It was dogma. <laughs> and then later on in my Bibles, I started writing in pencil. And, uh, of course, now I don't even write in my Bible unless I'm trying to point to uh, to my next step in my message or something. But, uh, I mean, we're just ever learning. You know, the Bible says we grow from faith to faith. You know, uh, we, we learn as we go. And I encourage you, just study this stuff. Read it. Uh, read some of the guys that I've referred you to. Um, uh, good Bible teachers and... Uh, um, you know, and I'll just be praying for you throughout your week and pray for our nation. Pray that uh, God, you know, I'm, I'm seeing commercials with Billy Graham on them. And I've heard that there's many people coming to faith through this time. I remember I pastored down in South Texas when the Twin Towers were hit 9-11. My church was full for about three weeks, you know, but it was a foxhole religion. Um you know, when the rounds start coming down range, you start seeking shelter. But then when the, you know, the shooting stops, you kind of, you know, forget what was happening. Um, you know, but, you know, rounds are coming down range right now. Uh, there's people dying. Uh, uh, this thing has got people scared. It, it forces you to face your mortality. Uh, and when people come to grips with their, their mortality, they begin thinking about, what's next. So I would encourage you be sensitive to that uh, as you're speaking to people uh, this week, whether it be on Facebook, you're probably social distancing, but uh, be, be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing uh, through our nation. I have no doubt that God is trying to get our attention. And uh, so, but anyway, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great week. Remember always that God does love you. He does want the best for you. And he is, whether it looks like it or not, <laughs> working all things out for our good. God bless you.